and we're, we're kicking off a brand new series today called Home for Christmas, and uh, I love home. I love, I love being home. I love going home. My, my wife loves for me to come home. Come on, any wives in here? Send that to your husband. What time are you going to be home? Uh, I love it. I, I love this idea of home. We're, we're talking about this idea of home for Christmas, and uh, I, I, I feel like our church is my second home. And I love this home. I how many of you love this home? You love this home? This is a, we'll, you'll hear us say this all the time, that, that our church is, is not a place you go to, but it's a family you belong to. And this idea of home is really not so much about your actual house, even though we all love our houses and our homes, but what makes a house a home is the people in it. That's what makes that house a home. It's the family that you are a part of. And I absolutely love that, that the Bible describes the church as a home. It describes the body of Christ as a family. And uh, the church is not really so much about a, a, a where, it's about a who. It's not a place, it's a people. <clears throat> so this this series is about this idea that God has called us home for Christmas. Not only home in the sense of coming to, to church and being a part of a family, but also this idea that God has called us home with him. And that in this season of Christmas, we can get so busy, so wrapped up in all the things that are going on in this season that we miss the reason for the season. And uh, isn't it a crying shame that the one birthday that we celebrate that this is all about that you can't actually say nowadays? Um, that, that was a crying shame when there was a thing going around where you could not say Merry Christmas, which is the whole reason for the season, by the way. That's what this is all about, this home for Christmas. And I love that God desires for us to be in a home. And so for many of you, you, you may be coming to this holiday season and it, it can be a bit painful. Um, maybe th th you have a broken home or you have a divided home. I know a lot of people in our church are going to have an empty home this Christmas. I did six funerals this year, and all of them were under the age of 30. That is a hard, hard funeral to do, by the way. But it's secondly a, a very hard time for many people that are in our church. Uh, Christmas can be a great, joyous celebration, but in the midst of all of that, we can also come to this reality that Christmas brings also a lot of pain. It reminds us of our brokenness. It reminds us of the fractures that are in our relationship. But God desires so greatly for you to be in a home, a home that is a place where you're safe. Come on, how many of you know that when you're in a home, you, you wear things at home that you don't wear outside of home? <laughs> right? Come on, let's be honest. All right? It, it, at, at home, at, at home you, you, just, you just yourself. You are just who you are at home. And so that's why we're, we don't want this just to be God's house. We want OSC to be your home. Because when you're home, you, you're yourself. You are who you are. There's no front. You don't, have to, you don't have to put on a front. You can just wear whatever you want. Most of the time. Just wear something, please. <laughs> But a home is a place where you feel loved. It's a place where, where you, you, you can be who you are. It's also a place where you feel, should feel accepted. Unfortunately, now in our days, our homes, though, are, are not that way. They're not a place where you feel loved. They're not a place where you feel accepted. They're a place that are broken and divided. And so, so in the midst of all the fractures of our culture, God still desires, though, for you to be at home. 
And I know that because I see it all throughout Scripture. From the beginning, the Genesis 1, when Jesus created the Garden of Eden, it was his whole desire that God would be and walk with, with Adam and Eve and that they would be at home with him. All throughout the Old Testament, you see this desire for God to be, for God to be uh, their God, the people's God, and that for the people to be their God, and that they would have this relationship. And we see this in Psalms. I want to direct your attention to uh, the, the scriptures today. We're going to read a lot in scriptures, but in Psalm 68, verse 6, I love the message version of this. Look at this. If you put that up for me, it says, God makes homes for the what? For the homeless. Other versions say that God sets the solitary in families. So depending on what version you read, it still conveys this idea that God does not want any of us to be alone. God doesn't want any of us to be isolated. God doesn't want any of us to be in solidarity. God wants us to be in a home. He wants us to be in a family. God desires. And and in our culture nowadays, there are more spiritually homeless people than ever before. So many people in our city and in our region and in our nation and in our country are spiritually homeless. And God in Psalm 68 says that he desires to make homes for the homeless. So today, I want to bring you into Jesus' home. And more than just bring you into his home, I want, as we come into this Christmas season, I want to introduce you to Jesus' family. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 1. It should be there in your notes. If you want to follow along in your Bible, you can as well. We'll also have it on the screen. But I'm going to do something that I've never done before. And I'm going to preach the genealogy of Jesus. This is normally the part that you skip. So the very beginning of Matthew, the very beginning of the New Testament, of the great news of the gospel, Matthew chapter 1, the first 17, 16, 17 verses, is the genealogy of Jesus. All of these names, so-and-so begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so, had so-and-so. How many know you skip that part, right? Anybody in here? Any of y'all like do a deep study on the genealogies? When you read that, you're like, okay, let's go to chapter 2. But today, my whole message is chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus. Because I feel for us to really grasp this idea of being home for Christmas and what it means to be in family, you need to understand the family that Jesus came from. Because I think when you understand the family Jesus come from, you'll be okay with your family. So Genesis chapter 1 is where we're going to, to start, and I want to get you to know a little bit about Jesus' family. It's funny, yesterday, my, uh, my, my stepmom uh, that is married to my dad posted a thing on Facebook that said, going to meet my husband's family. And Lindsay looked at me, and she said, hey, did you, do you know these people? I said, I don't even know who those people are. She's like, it's your family. <laughs> my dad was going to meet somebody in his family, and I didn't even know who it was. How many know there's some people in your family that you don't explain, that you don't introduce, you have to explain them? How many you know that? How many, maybe that's you. Maybe you're here. Okay. Maybe you're the one they explain. And so I, I, I got, undoubtedly, I got some family on my dad's side. I didn't even know. It looked like a Mexican party without me. I was, I was very upset. I was very upset. So Matthew chapter one is where we're going to begin. So don't, don't tune out on me. Okay. I know your life is about to change when you hear the genealogy of Jesus. I mean, just buckle up. It's about to get intense here. Matthew 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. By the way, if there's, like, if there's words or, or names that you don't know, here's how you say names in the Bible that you don't know. 
fast and confidently, okay? So I'm going to show you how you do this. <clears throat> just, just go through it. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Abinadab, Abinadab and Abinadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Jacob the father, verse 16, and Jacob the father of Joseph the husband of Mary, whom, who's this? Here we go. We got to him. Whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. Come on. How many? You, you, yeah. It's awesome. How many of your life has just changed just radically? Y'all feel it? Y'all feel that? I'm never the same right now. I can feel it. Genealogy of Jesus can be a bit boring. Why in the world do I need to know all this? Well, there's a reason you need to know all this because, uh, well, I'll explain it to you. Um, so this is what I want to do. Um, actually, there were 17 verses of this. If I went through 17 verses, I think you would have fallen asleep. So I only went through the first six, and I did the last one. Uh, just to show you, there was 42 generations that went through from, from Abraham all the way to Jesus. There was 42 generations. And I want to highlight, I believe I have eight, seven or eight. I want to highlight some key people in Jesus' family. Okay, so I have some blanks in there in your notes, and I'll give you the names of each of these people, and then I'm going to give you a highlight of each one of these people, and as you're reading about each one of these people, I want you to think that's Jesus' family, okay? This is a part of his family. First one, Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons, had many sons, had father Abraham. Okay, anyways, I am one of them. <laughs> So here's a couple of things about Abraham. Abraham was a pagan, and his father was a pagan. Pagan meaning that they were not of God. Um, Abraham had no desire to seek out God. Abraham was, was not a godly man. He was a pagan man. He had a pagan father. Um, God was seeking him, though. He didn't call out to God. God call, called out to him. And this is, a good, this is good news for you and I because Jesus still calls out to us even when we're not looking for him. Now, Abraham, uh, he, God promised him and his wife that when they were in older age, he was 100 years old, his wife was 90 years old, that they would have a son. I mean, you'd say that was, that's a surprise. Yes. Yeah, some people that have children in 40s think that's a surprise. Try 100, all right? 100 years old, promised that he was going to have a son. Um, during this whole process of, of him, they do, they eventually have this son. His name is, anybody know? Isaac. So they have a son named, named Isaac. Um, this whole process, there's a, a lot that goes on. But in, in the midst of all of this, uh, Abraham tries to give away his wife two times to people that were trying to attack him. He was under major conflict. And so in order to, rest, uh, to restore that and to try to not to go through conflict, he tried to give away his wife two times. How many know that's two times too many? Um, can you imagine after the first time? His, Sarah comes up to him and goes, hey, baby, what was that? <laughs> baby, listen, they were going to kill me, and uh, they were, it wasn't going to be good, and so I was going to give Don't you ever do that again. You will be cut off for the rest of your life. <laughs> the problem was he didn't learn the lesson the first time, and he tried to give his wife away two times. Um, not good. 
On, on top of that, he also tried to kill his son. Um, it was an obedience to God. But can you imagine what that family reunion or that Christmas was like after that attempt happened? He was going to kill Isaac, and thankfully God stepped in. God told him to do it, but God stepped in, and, uh, and he didn't have to kill his son. But can you imagine what Isaac probably walked away with going, my dad tried to kill me. Actually, yet last year, my son was reading through this, this, <laughs> through this passage in, in his Bible, and he sent me a text. I wish I would have, had, I wish I would have put it on the screen. And the, and the text said, hey, Dad, I'm reading through the story of Abraham. God told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. If God told, I, God told you to sacrifice me, would you? I said, he's actually told me to do it a couple times, but I've actually, I've withheld, withheld the wrath. So this is Abraham. This is Abraham. He was a man that was used mightily by God, but he was a man who desperately needed God. Let me give you another guy, Jacob, Jacob. So Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob's name means deceiver. Come on. How many, you know, how many, you know, you're thinking about picking names for your kids has Deceiver ever been one of those? <laughs> we'll name him Deceiver. We'll name him Liar. This is what his name means. Um, uh, on top of that, he had a really, really bad thing because he got married, and he didn't just get married to one woman. He got married to two sisters at the same time. Yeah, that's right. Trouble is right. How um, I many know that's, that's, that's an ingredient for not good? Not good, not good, not good. Let's look at the next person, Judah. <clears throat> Judah is um, a part of the lineage of uh, Jacob. Jacob has all of these, these boys. Judah is one of them. We also know another one of them. His name is Joseph. Judah and his brothers absolutely are despising of their brother. They're extremely jealous of their brother, uh, Joseph. And so we, if you know the story, so Judah devises a plan that they're going to have uh, they're going to kidnap Joseph, and then on top of that, they sell their brother into slavery. How many have a bad relationship? Uh, well, we're not going to do that. All right. <laughs> Needless to say, if your relationship with your siblings are not too good, nowhere near as much as Judah and Joseph's. Judah sells his brother into, into slavery. So <clears throat> Judah then has a son. His name is Ur. Come on, these, are, these names are great. Ur, E-R, Ur, okay? And uh, Ur gets married to a woman named Tamar. Now, Tamar is actually in the genealogy of Jesus. And one of the things that's very peculiar about the genealogy of Jesus is that it includes women. Normally in genealogies, they never included women. It was all men. And so yet Matthew decided that in this, according to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that women need to be included in this genealogy. And Tamar is the very first one. So Judah has a son named Ur. Ur gets married to Tamar. Ur is a very ungodly man, and so God kills Ur. He dies. So there's three boys. The second son, so in those days when the oldest son's wife, when, when he dies, the second son, if he's not married, he is supposed to marry his older brother's wife and conceive a child with her so that the name can continue to go on. Well, here's the problem. Ur has a brother named Onan, and Onan is just as ungodly as Ur is. He is very wicked and very ungodly. So his dad tells Onan, you need to marry your, your, uh, you know, your sister-in-law, and you need to carry on the, the lineage name. Here's the only problem. He really, really enjoys sleeping with her. He just doesn't want to marry her. So he continues to sleep with her constantly, 
but he does not with any intention intend it to be for a baby or to marry. And so guess what God does? Kills him too. And so now there's a third son. And, and so Judah tells Tamar, hey, listen, go in, in widow apparel. Let's wait for this third son to grow up. And then when he grows up, then I'll have him marry you and you'll finally be in the family. Well, sure enough, he, he does not uh, commit or doesn't do what he says. And so Tamar decides she's going to take matters into her own hands. And Tamar dresses like a prostitute. I can't make this stuff up. He dress, she dresses like a prostitute, and she seduces her father-in-law, Judah, to sleep with her. Her father-in-law sleeps with her, and she gets pregnant from her father-in-law. So, so, so she has, Tamar has a child from Grandpa Daddy. Like, I can't, like, this is better than Jerry Springer. I mean, this is some good stuff seduces her own father-in-law to sleep with her so that she can have a child. And they have, a, they have a child. The next person in our line is Rahab. Here's the other woman. She is a Canaanite. Something about the Canaanites. The Canaanites were the enemies of God. They were the enemies of God. They despised God's people. They hated God's people. And she was a part of that lineage. She was a Canaanite. And on top of that, she wasn't not only a, a Canaanite and a pagan, but she was also a prostitute. And this was actually her full-time job that she had. She was propositioning herself all over the city of Jericho. And if you know the story of how this plays out is uh, God sends, or, or actually Joshua sends two spies into Jericho to, to figure out how they're going to conquer this city. And, and they knock on the door of Rahab and Rahab actually invites them into her house and they are under, uh, the cops are after them. They're, they're trying to track them down. And Rahab hides these two spies and on top of hiding these two spies, lies to them, says, I don't know where they are. And so uh, as the two spies are leaving because they were saved by Rahab, they tell Rahab, if you put a red scarlet out, you and your household will completely be saved. Thank you for what you've done. And in that moment, she has an encounter with God. We all know the story, Jericho, the walls fall down and God is faithful to his promise and they save Rahab. Rahab actually ends up becoming a part of the the lineage of Jesus because of that one moment. She becomes saved, gets into the family and uh, she gets saved because God is a father who's willing to adopt anybody into his family, by the way. Even the prostitute that is a pagan. And here's the, the greatest part of that is she becomes the great, great grandma to King David. Rahab the prostitute. Okay. I'm going somewhere here, so just keep following along with me. Ruth is the next one. There's another woman. She is from the Moabites. And you can trace their ancestry all the way back to Abraham's day. Abraham had a, <clears throat> had a relative named Lot. A lot of people ask, well, what was Lot's problem? What did he do wrong? A lot. Lot did a lot wrong. One of the big problems of, of Lot is Lot had uh, two daughters. When they were in the middle of battle, the two daughters thought that they would not live and they thought they would never carry on uh, their name. And so they ended up getting their father, Lot, drunk so that he could sleep with them, so that he could produce children in them. And so they did. And so the Moabites were a product of incest. And so Ruth, who we read about in Scripture is a byproduct of the Moabites who were a byproduct of incest. So they were definitely the repulsive of that nation. Nobody wanted to be around them or with them. 
she was a daughter of, of incest. But the, the incredible thing yet again is that even though she is a part of this incest, how many know the Moabites were that side of the family? Y'all know that side? Like that's that side. That's the Moabites, okay? That's that side of the family. And yet we see that God sovereignly comes in and Ruth marries, not no longer into the Moabite side, but she marries into God's side of the family. And we know that Ruth begins to become one of the godliest women in all of the Bible. And then Ruth becomes the great-grandma to King David, which tells me that you may come from a horrible family, but everything changes when you're adopted into Jesus' family. So no matter what family you've come from, Jesus can still make you a new family, which is good news. So that's Ruth. David, let's talk about David, King David, mighty man of God. He killed a lion and a bear with his bare hands, killed a 10-foot giant with a slingshot. Pretty incredible dude. Wrote the entire, most of the book of Psalms. He was an incredible worship leader. Uh, wrote tons of songs. Even the songs that we sing today are inspired from this man named David. The Bible says that he, they describe David as a man after God's own heart. Here's the only problem is that, that uh, David had a bit of a lustful side. David had a guy that was on his team that was a part of his soldiers. His name was Uriah. He was a soldier. He sent all of his guys out to battle. While he was out to battle, he stayed back. He sees a beautiful woman, a woman bathing and lusts for her, desires for her, and, uh, and invites her into his home. If you watch VeggieTales, it says that he really, really wanted her ducky. Um, he did not want her ducky, by the way. <laughs> I'm just giving you the VeggieTales version. <laughs> he really wanted, I laugh every time I know. He really wanted her ducky. Um, and so, yes, I did just say that. And so, so he, he, he seduces her, commits adultery with her. She actually gets pregnant. And in order to cover up the pregnancy, he gets Uriah to come home to try to have Uriah sleep with his wife. Uriah is so faithful to him that he sits, sits he sleeps in front of David's house and will not go home to his wife. And so he says, this is big trouble. He, she's pregnant and Uriah's not sleeping with her. There's gonna, it's coming back on me. And so he sends Uriah out into the field, sends a letter and says, hey, I want y'all to go into the depths of the battle. And then when you get into the heat of the battle, everybody pull out and leave Uriah there and let him be killed. And, and that's what ended up happening. He becomes a murderer. Man after God's own heart. It's adultery. And murder, and yet God used him mightily to serve his purpose. And David and Bathsheba, out of this affair and out of this adulterous relationship, guess who they produce? A man named Solomon. Solomon is the second wisest man in all of the world. He's the second because Jesus was the wisest man. But he was the second wisest man in all of the earth. Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes. Solomon wrote Song of Solomon. Solomon wrote Proverbs. Solomon constructed the temple of God for his people. Now, the, the flip side of it, Solomon did have 700 wives and 300 girlfriends, wow. which means he had no money um, <laughs> and a lot of headache. This is, this is Solomon. Now think about this. So out of, out of the sin of David and Bathsheba, out of that sin, God still restores and gives them Solomon who writes so much of the Old Testament. 
Meaning that even, I don't know about y'all, if you came out of, maybe your, your parents or your family came out of sin, God can still use you in the midst of all that. So here's the reason why I say all this, okay? The reason why I say all this is because Matthew wrote the genealogy of, 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 at the beginning of Matthew, is because he wants to show us that Jesus didn't just come for sinners, he came through sinners, Listen to me on that one. Jesus didn't just come for sinners. He came through sinners. Martin Luther, he says it this way. Jesus is the kind of person who is not ashamed of sinners. In fact, he even puts them in his family tree. I mean, think about this. As the savior of the world, you would think he would come through the purest, most holiest, most noble family lineage You would think he would come through nobility. You would think he would come through kings and princes and queens. You would think he would come through something of of just great rapport. And yet he comes through prostitutes and incest and adultery. And this is what he comes through. To remind you and I that he is not ashamed of sinners. Because he invites them in his own family. He comes through him in his own family. So I want to end our time today talking about why is the genealogy so important. So if you want to fill out some notes, here's, here's a great part for you to fill this out. We've looked at these people. We've looked at their sin. We've looked at their past. We've looked at their failures. But why is this so important for us? Because no matter who you are and no matter where you're from and no matter what you've done, I want you to hear me on this one. First off is this, is that Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. He loves you so much. You don't have to answer this question, but have you committed adultery? Have you done some things that you're so shameful of? Have you murdered somebody? Maybe not physically, but, but with your heart? Have, have you slept with someone you shouldn't have slept with? Have you done something that you shouldn't have done? Can I tell you today there is hope for you? There is hope for you. Jesus tells us just through the lineage that Jesus loves you. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, we say it all the time here because we want you to hear this with open ears that God so loves us and he showed us how much he loves us by sending Christ to be, look at this, to die for us while we were still what? While we were still sinners. Christmas is not just about Jesus being born. It's about why he was born. I want you to hear me on this. It's not just about a cute baby that's in a manger. It is the whole reason we've got to get in this Christmas season, the whole purpose of why he came in the first place. The reason he came in the first place. Let's look, Matthew chapter 1. Just go a couple more verses now. After the, the genealogy, we get into 21. And this is the reason why Christmas is here. Jesus, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name? Jesus. Come on. You shall call his name? Jesus. For he will, what's that word? Save his people from their sins. 2,000 years ago, Romans chopped down their tree and they made that tree into a cross. And the greatest gift you'll get this Christmas does not come from under a tree, but hung on a tree. That's the greatest gift that you and I will ever get this Christmas. It came on a tree. And what Jesus did on the cross tree is way more powerful than any sin in your family tree. The cross tree 
is, is the tree that we celebrate this Christmas. It's the whole reason why Jesus came in the first place. Now, my wife, uh, when, when she cleans our house, after she does a big cleaning, it takes a long time. It takes all day for her to clean all these different rooms. We've got three boys. I mean, it's a crazy house. When she cleans our house, she will put on the front door of our house. Anybody that's been to my house, they know this. She'll put on the very front door of, my, of our house, take off your shoes. And I'm telling you right now, she is an enforcer of the law. If you, if you step two feet into that kitchen with shoes on, you're cut off for at least a month. I mean, it's not, you, you are, I mean, it is like, she, she's upstairs and you, she can say, take off your shoes. I mean, she hears the door slam. She's worked so hard for that house to keep it clean. So she wants to keep the house very, very clean. And, and I understand. I totally understand. But the sad thing is, is in most churches, we have the same sign on our front door. Take off your shoes. Clean up the mess before you get in here. Because we don't want your dirt in here. Isn't that true? Most, church, most people don't want to go to church because they think that there's a church that has a sign on the door that says, you better wipe your feet and take off those shoes before you get in here. You better clean yourself up before you get in here. But how many of you know that Jesus is the ultimate house cleaner? And he lets you come in dirty and all. He doesn't need you to clean yourself up because, by the way, if you could have, you would have done it already. You can't clean yourself up, but Jesus can. I mean, God tells us to be hospitable, that we should have gifts of hospitality. That's why we, we spend so much time with our guest services and our first impressions team to create a hospitable atmosphere from here. Do you know what the word hospitality, you know what the root word comes from? Hospital. And do you know what a hospital, there is no doctor that looks at someone who's got a gunshot wound and bleeding everywhere and said, hey, you're bleeding all over my stuff. Why don't you go step out there and clean that up a little bit before you come in here? No, 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 no. The hospital knows that people are coming in bloody and bruised and beaten because their whole purpose is to heal and help those who are bloody, hurting, and beating. And the same is true for us, our Savior's church, that we welcome people bloody and bruised and beaten and hurting and walking, and they're bleeding all over our carpet. And we say, that's okay. Come on in. Come on in. This is where we find hope. This is where we find healing. I pray, I pray, I pray that we will continue to create a church, even as we grow bigger, that welcomes mess and brokenness. May we never get to a point where we put our nose in the sky and think we are better than or that our sin is no greater than the person next to us. Listen, if you smell cigaweed walking down the aisle, don't get offended. It's why we exist. Amen. That's right. Come on. Yes. I love the fact that we don't have a dress code. You don't have to come all prim and proper. I mean, just come as you are. Hey, here's the great thing. Jesus loves you as you are, but he loves you enough to not let you stay as you are. Amen. So you, you're welcome to come as you are. But just know that Jesus loves you enough that he's not going to let you stay in dysfunction. He's not going to let you stay bleeding out all over the floor. He's going to pick you up, and then he's going to heal that area, and then he's going to help you, and then he's going to get you moving. Amen. This is what Jesus does. Come on, amen, somebody? Yeah. This, is, this is the church. 
This is the church. And let me just say this real quickly. Jesus doesn't love the Facebook or Instagram version of you. Y'all know what that is, right? Yeah, well, you know what it is because we all post the, the good side of us. The side we want people to see. We don't post the, the fight. We don't post the, the, the insecurities or the depressions. We, we post the good side. And we think that God loves a future version of us. I know God loves me, but he loves me like in the future. No, no. God loves you, you, now. Where you are now, jacked up, messed up. And in the future version of you, you he, God's not going to love you more then. His love for you is, is passionate now, right there in your dysfunction. Here's the second thing. No matter what you, who you are or where you come from or what you've done, I need you to know this too. Jesus chose and adopted you into his family. Jesus chose you. Jesus adopted you. Well, Pastor Josh, how do you know that? Well, the scripture tells us that. Ephesians 1 verse 4 and 5 says, even before he made the world. Think about this. Even before he made you. Even before he made all that we see. This is what it says. God, what does it say? Love. Loved us. Okay, so there's point one. He loved us and... And he chose us in Christ. Now watch this. He chose you to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Now watch this. And God decided in advance to what? Adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Have you ever seen those couples like maybe, you know, you're at a mall or you're at a store or you're at a restaurant and you see a couple and they walk in and, and, and let's say the woman is gorgeous and the guy is ugly? Or flip it around. The guy, the guy is extremely handsome and the woman is extremely, whatever it is. Have you ever seen? Yeah, okay, I'm the, only, I'm the only one. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know I just walked up into a judgmental church. I've, come on, you know what I'm talking about. And you, you, you're thinking, how did he get her? How, how did that happen? Like, and then you must be thinking, he's got money. He's got to have money. I mean, that's all, that's all I can say. He must drive a nice car. I mean, he's got to have something. He's got to, there's something that, that's there. Well, can I, can I tell you this? In the church, when people look at the church and they see the brokenness and the ugliness and the deceptions, and then they see the beauty of Jesus, they go, how did they get him? How did they get him? I mean, he is amazing. He is awesome. And they are filthy. And they're in incest and prostitution and adultery. And they, they love her of themselves. How did they get him? And then that's when we remind people, he chose me. He chose me. I didn't choose him. Scripture will say this all throughout the New Testament. I didn't choose him. He chose me. So I'm I'm in. I'm in. Jesus, and by the way, Jesus chose me not because of me, but in spite of me. Not, not because you're awesome. Actually, quite the opposite. The reason Jesus chose you is because he wants to show how awesome he is, despite you. This is the idea. This is the gospel that we see, and that is what's called grace. Come on, how many know God is way out of our league? But he chose us. He chose us. I'm in the family not because of what I've done. I'm in this family because of what Jesus has done. And Jesus has chose me and he has adopted me. And Christmas is the most powerful moment 
I think, in the gospel because the Son of God became a man, so the men of God can become sons of God or women. Think about this. Jesus became a man so that men could become sons or children of God. Think how powerful that is. God came down on this earth as a baby, as you and I, with the whole intentions of saving us, but then choosing us and bringing us into his family. So we are no longer orphans. We are no longer homeless. We are no longer divorced from those. God brings us in. He's chose you. He's adopted you. He loves you. And number three, Jesus invites you into his family, but you must accept the invitation. He invites you into his family, but you must accept his invitation. Luke 14, 16 says this. A man once gave a great banquet, and look at this. And what did he do? Invited many. Okay, y'all need to track with me because I need to wrap all this up. He invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent out his servants to say those, to, to those who had been invited, come, for everything's ready now. Come eat. Dinner's ready. Let's go. Now watch what happens. Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike begin to what? Okay, I want you to highlight that. That's a huge part. They began to make excuses of why they couldn't come even though they were invited. And so the servant came and reported these things to the master. Then the master of the house became angry. And he said to the servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes and the city. And here's what I want you to bring in. I want you to bring in the poor. I want you to bring in the crippled. I want you to invite the blind. I want you to invite the lame. Which, by the way, that describes you and me. That describes you and me. For I once was blind... But now I see. Look at this. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and there is still room. And the master said to the servant, Okay, now listen. Now go out to the highways and to the hedges, and now watch this, and compel people. Urge people passionately to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste my banquet. He is giving the invitation. How many of you remember, for those that are married, your wedding invitation? How many of you remember those wedding invitations? You know, back in the day, I don't know, y'all remember this? Like, if you had that little, like, you had, you know, something that was somewhat nice, and then you put in that nice little paper sleeve, that little slip of paper. How many knew that was fancy back in the day? I mean, that was fancy with a little RSVP. That was fancy stuff. Nowadays, it's not so much. Now it's like embossed. Like, flat letters are not cool anymore. It's got to be embossed. It's got to come off the page. I mean, it's like, it's got pictures, you know, the couple's in the sand and everything. I mean, it's like, makes my wedding invitation look terrible. But I loved it. I like the little paper thing I put in there. It's nice. I did that, by the way, in all of our invitations. That's why I like it. But I don't know if y'all know this. Um, nowadays, because of social media, people know about your wedding quicker than anybody else. They know you're getting married. So this is no lie. Now people are sending uninvited letters to people. Because so many people know about the wedding and they can't have all those people. They're having to send letters to people telling them that they're not invited. This is what one of the letters says. Look at this. We, we, we've had to be pretty brutal in chopping down our guest list. I'm so sad you will not be there with us on that day. But we look forward to catching up with you soon. How many would hate to get a letter like that? 
But listen to me. I love the fact that Jesus came so that everyone could be invited. None of you got an uninvited letter. Everybody in this room got an invited card. Come on, how are you glad that Jesus doesn't send out uninvited cards? I'm sorry. You missed your opportunity. It's over for you. No matter what you've done, you are invited. How do I know that? Revelations 3, verse 20. We'll wrap it up. And this is what it says. Look, I stand at the door. This is Jesus. I want you to hear this as Jesus is telling you this right now. Look, I stand at the door. At the door of what? At the door of your heart. And guess what he's doing? He's knocking. And if you hear my voice, and you hear that knock, because by the way, Jesus doesn't send just letters. He sends himself. Through the Holy Spirit. He personally shows up at your door to invite you. He speaks to our heart. And this is what he says. If you hear my voice. Now watch, watch the response that you've got to have. And if you open the door. If you'll hear it and open the door. I'll come in. And we're going to share a meal together. As friends. You know what that speaks of? Speaks of a home. Speaks of family. Speaks of this desire that God longs for you and I to be in relationship with us. And our passion at our church, first and foremost, is for you to know God. Not in a, I attend church and go to church and listen to a message and sing some songs. and Not, not in that way. But that you would personally know Jesus, that you would be able to hear his voice, that you would have a a, a relationship with him where you walk with him and he walks with you through life. This is the desire of our church. Because what, what God does is not only does he die on the cross and give us salvation and give us his righteousness and take our sin, not only does he give us a new righteousness, but he also gives us a new family. Come on, how many praise God for that? So he gives us a new righteousness, but he also gives us a new family. And it's an invitation for every single one of you in here, but you got to RSVP. Got to open the door. Got to open the door. So I want us to bow our heads all across this room. Listen, maybe you've had that excuse for so long, man, uh, God, if only God knew what, what my life, listen, God knows, God knows. And today, if there's any encouragement as we look at the life of Jesus, or if we look at the family of Jesus, and we see dysfunction, we see disappointment, we see enemies of God, we see great sin, we also saw great righteousness. Maybe you're in here today and you go, man, thank God I've never done any of that. Man, thank God. Well, listen, can I tell you, one, your your family might be worse than you think it is. They just might be really good at hiding it. Or two, the greatest sin you might be dealing with right now is pride. It's pride. And that's actually one of the greatest ones that Jesus speaks about. We all in here, we all in here are sinners, blind and lame. We're all in here in need of the saving grace of Jesus. If you're here in this room today and you have never opened that door, say, God, come on in. 
I don't want you to leave this place without opening that door. Jesus says, if you'll just open that door, just say, God, I just need you. I need you. That's just surrender. That's all it is. God, I surrender. That he'll come in and he'll meet you right there where you are. So no one looking around. If that's you, say, Pastor Josh, would you just pray for me? I want to open that door today. I want you to just throw your hands up right there where you're at. Keep it up. Come on, hands going up all over the place. All over the place. Thank you. 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 You can put it back down just right there where you are. Come on, you just repeat this. I may say, Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth to live a life that I couldn't live and dying a death that I should have died. Thank you today for paying my debts. Today, I open my heart and I say yes. Come be my Lord. Come be my Savior. From this moment forward, I give it all to you. I repent of my sins. I repent of my family's sins. And I won't let that hold me back. Your word says that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things are passed away. New has come. Thank you today for newness of life. In Jesus' name.